Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. Um, I send out a an announcement um, each week saying what the the topic is. How many people uh, get that announcement and look at it? I'm curious. Okay, great. If you don't or you're wondering what the calendar is, you can go to our website, insightberkeley.org, and uh, you can uh, see the instructions how to how to get the uh, the weekly announcement that I send out in MailChimp, and um, also uh, see what the lineup is. You look at the calendar, you can see who's going to be giving the talk. But when I send out that MailChimp where Eve does, we talk about the uh, the topic for the week, and I realize I sent I sent it out yesterday. Uh, but I forgot to change the title and the 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 the, uh, the subject line, I should say. But the title was correct. Uh, I still had uh, Marana uh, Marana Sati uh, mindfulness of death. Uh, but then, if you go down, you'll see uh, I wanted to cover the other four of the five reflections tonight. The five daily reflections or five remembrances as they're sometimes called uh as the the talk tonight and i wanted to do them um not just as a lecture but as practicing and let me see if i paste it in okay all right so here are the five reflections uh forgive the formatting um oh it came out okay okay my nature is to grow old i cannot escape growing old My nature is to experience illness. I cannot escape illness. My nature is to experience death. I cannot escape death. All that I love is of the nature to change. I cannot escape separation from what I love. My actions are my only belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. This is one translation. There are a number of different translations. And the Buddha said to reflect on these things regularly. A few weeks ago, I spoke particularly on on that third one about death and Marana Sati, uh, that is... um, mindfulness of death, but I wanted to go through all five today. Um, And let me see, to do this, I don't think I shared this last time, the, I read some of it, but I didn't read all of it. So, um, or I don't think I showed you um, the sutta. This is the sutta from which this teaching comes, the Upajatana Sutta, Subjects for Contemplation. And by the way, this is on the accesstoinsight.org website. If you see up in the the URL, uh, accesstoinsight.org, that has um, most of the Pali Canon, or much of the, I should say, much of the Pali Canon translated uh, for us. There's also another website called Sutta Central uh, and a couple of others, but the access to insight is the one that I primarily use. And this uh, above the title, you see AN557. That's Anguttara Nikaya 5.57. Anguttara Nikaya is a collection, the numerical discourses and that is everything in that collection are numbered groups of, this is all lists. So this is in the, the list, the, the five list. So this is a sutta that's in the lists of fives. And these are the five, 
facts that one should reflect on, the five daily reflections. And I'll just read a little bit. We'll go a little at a time, and then I want to do some practice. Okay. And when I read the sutta, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, a lot of these, um, uh, the wording might need to be updated. So I update the wording just so you know. For instance, this is whether one is a woman or a man. Uh, and now we want to be inclusive and, and recall or, or include non-binary uh, people as well. So I just say, uh, whatever the gender. Um, so these are the five, these are five facts. There are these five facts that one should reflect on often. Whatever gender lay or ordained, which five? I am subject to aging, have not gone beyond aging. This is the first fact one should reflect on often, whatever gender lay or ordained. I am subject to illness, have not gone beyond illness. And those three dots mean that it's the same, just repeated. I am subject to death, have not gone beyond death. I will grow different, separated from all that is dear and appealing to me. And I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and have my actions as my arbitrator. Whatever I do for good or for evil, to that I will fall heir. These are the five facts one should reflect on often, whether whatever gender lay or ordained. <clears throat> then he goes into each one and we'll take one at a time. So the first is about aging. Um, now, based on what line of reasoning should one often reflect that I am subject to aging, have not gone beyond aging? There are beings who are intoxicated with a youth's intoxication with youth. Because of that intoxication with youth, they conduct themselves in, I'll say, an unskillful way in body, speech, and in mind. Bad is a kind of a, kind of, not, I don't think so, such a skillful way to put it. Just not, not clear. A way that leads to um, suffering. But when they often reflect on that fact, that youth's intoxication with youth will either be entirely abandoned or grow weaker. Okay, coming back to here. So, youth's intoxication with youth. And of course, I think you'd agree that our culture puts a premium on youth. Oh, you look so, you look so young. Oh, how wonderful. Gee, you're, you're just looking so great. You're so, oh, you've hardly aged at all. Wow. Amazing. Hey, thanks for noticing. You know, this is not in, uh, in congruence with reality. Reality is that this body is subject to impermanence. And so rather than being intoxicated with youth, which can lead to all kinds of mm, thoughts and actions and uh, self-judgments that don't support well-being, to really come to terms with this fact can be so liberating. The body is just following its own laws. As my friend Terry Patton said in, in such a, a profound way, why waste our time resisting reality? Reality wins. What if we can be aligned with reality 
and embrace reality instead of fighting it. So I want to um, have us do a practice around this, okay? Uh, and it will, this will, if you have your screen on, this will help as we do this, if you have your video on. And if you don't have your video on, you might take a mirror. Um, but if you do have your, your video on, go put your cursor in the upper right-hand corner of your cell, those three dots, and go to the drop-down menu. And the, on mine, it's the third word down. It says pin and pin yourself. Okay, everybody with me? Can you do that? There you are. Take a look at this person who's looking back at you. In fact, you might give them a smile. I bet you if you do, you'll get a smile back. Go ahead, try it. Mm. Say hello. Hi. Ah. Whatever your age, see if you can embrace the reality that you are subject to aging. And every day, this law is working on your body. Okay. Now just if you can look beyond where you are right now and just imagine if you're fortunate enough to live another few decades or many decades see if you can envision who you will be that this body will age, will have wrinkles, will have the law of impermanence acting on your internal organs, not just your external, not just your skin, but all the organs, all the sense organs. Your hearing will probably diminish, your sight will quite likely all the organs inside, this is what impermanence does. It's not a mistake. This is just the truth. So take a look. And see yourself years from now. whether it's 20 years, maybe if you're in your 70s or you're, or 40 years or 50 years, 60 years if you're, if you're young. And then I invite you to close your eyes And once again, open to this truth. My nature is to grow old. I cannot escape growing old. I am subject to aging. And as you reflect on this, just reflect, what do you fear if there are things that you fear?
What do you look forward to? And just reflect on what negative images have you perhaps internalized from media, from books, from your family, all the messages you received, any negative images that you've internalized. It's good to see the conditioning. And what positive images have you internalized? Inspiring beings, people who have aged gracefully and whose light shines through them. And then finally, imagine going through your day as your ideal elder, interacting with your family or your friends or colleagues or younger people. What would ideal elderhood look like? Okay, and now um, you can remove the pin. It's in the upper left-hand corner of your screen, probably, and then put it on gallery view so we're all back here together. And let's just check in for a few moments. What comes up when you do that? We can take some comments and uh, hopefully we can hear from a number of different people uh, with, uh, throughout this evening. Anything that came up for you? I feel like Sherry. Linda, hi. And you can unmute yourself. Hi. Hi. So yeah. I was lucky enough to um, have a neighbor Marianne, and um, I guess Marianne was about 70 when, when we moved into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And after I retired, I started visiting Marianne regularly. And Marianne had poor eyesight. She had poor hearing. She had mobility problems. She had some other health problems. She had trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. But Marianne was always glad to see me and, and anything, I mean, sometimes we would go shopping together. She was always grateful, always appreciative. And she had her wits about her. When I went to Monterey Market, I would often buy her blueberries because she loved blueberries. Mm. She would ask me what they cost. And I let her pay because I knew if I didn't let her pay, she wouldn't be glad to get them the next time. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't have the right change, she'd say, I'll pay you the next time I see you. Mm -hmm. And the next time she saw me, she'd say, I owe you $3. Anyway, so I, I really hope to be able to emulate Marianne in, in her friendliness and her gratitude and her being with it. I mean, that's something really to be thankful for if we're able to be with it. Mm-hmm. And she actually drove until she was almost 100 Ooh. and lived in her own house until she was 102. Ooh. 
And we celebrated her 105th birthday at my house. And she died at 106 after just um, a few weeks of being in intensive care. What a model. Yeah. What a model. What an inspiration. Always good to have a... Have someone to inspire. Thank you. Thanks so much. Sure. Mm. Uh, anyone else uh, quickly before before we go? I want to move on to the others, but if there's any any other comment that you want to share, if anything came up from you for you from that. Okay, so here I want to share with you a a definition, an inspiring definition of an elder by um, a fellow named Barry Barkin, who was the founder of something called the Live Oak Project. An elder is a person who is still growing, still learning, still with potential, and has and whose life continues to have within it an opening and connection to life and to the future, still opening to happiness and joy and pleasure, whose birthright remains, uh, and, and his or her birthright to these remains intact. Moreover, an elder is a person who deserves respect and honor, whose work it is to synthesize wisdom from a lifelong experience and formulate this into a legacy for future generations. It's interesting, in our culture, there is an intoxication with youth, but in so many cultures, particularly indigenous cultures, Uh, other cultures, the most respected members of society are the elders. They're to be revered. Their wisdom is to be um, heeded and learned from. It's all just conditioning. And if we can have a, a vision of an inspiring elderhood, it brings a kind of nobility to the process. Yeah, here I'm, you know, as as you know, if you've been with me for uh, the last month or so, I turned 75 last, last month in April. That seemed like such a weird number to me when I was growing up, 75, that is ancient, whoa. For me, I was just thinking about this uh, earlier this afternoon. I was thinking about, it's just, it's not that long ago, I was throwing grounders, ground balls with a rubber ball with my friend Ed, uh, you know, all day in, uh, uh, in, in, the, in the playground by my, my house in Queens. It was just a little while ago, 75, but it's still... I'm still the same person, you know, I hopefully I've learned a little something here and there. That's, that's the good part about living so long, you have some experience. And so I, I hope that you can take on a vision of a wise elder. As you grow, particularly if you're into Dharma practice, you're facing in the direction of more and more understanding and consciousness. This is a practice that we gave in my, the Heavenly Messengers program that I, I led a Heavenly Messengers program uh, with Frank Ostaseski and uh, Charter O'Gell um, uh, and Bob Stahl. Um, uh, it was a two-year program where we worked with these um, over time. And this is a practice. Imagine all the young people around you that you see, maybe if you see some here on the on the screen, being 50 years or 60 years from today and see them with compassion and appreciation. 
That is, as you're walking through and you see young people, see them as in their 70s or more, or 80s. When you're around very old people, reflect that they were young and envision them in their youth. Having lived all those years, they have a lifetime of memories and lessons that others often don't realize are right inside and treat them with honor and respect as you reflect on a lifetime of wisdom and experience. That gives a whole other relationship to aging, realizing the young will grow old and the old have something, the older, the elders have something uh, to be honored and respected. Okay, now take a nice breath because we're going to move on. Okay, on to the second. In fact, I'll go back to the um, to the Upajatana Sutta and see what the Buddha has to say with this. Now, based on what line of reasoning should one often reflect that I am subject to illness, have not gone beyond illness? There are beings who are intoxicated with a healthy person's intoxication with health. Because of that intoxication with health, they conduct themselves in an unskillful way in body and speech and in mind. But when they often reflect on that fact, that healthy person's intoxication with health will either be entirely abandoned or grow weaker. Okay. And when he says intoxication with, with health, it doesn't mean that you don't appreciate your health, but rather you're not deceived into thinking, oh, this is the way it should be. This is the way it may it always be this way and not being able to open to the truth of things subject to impermanence. My nature is to experience illness. I cannot escape illness. Okay. Once again, pin yourself. Okay. Go up to that cell and take a look. And take a look and realize that There is no escaping illness. The law of impermanence is at work. And you have probably gotten ill many times in your life and you will get ill in the future. And at some point, the body will break down. This is not a mistake. This is not a flaw in the plan. This is part of reality. And know that your body follows its own laws. And so take a look and see this being with this body that has its own laws to follow. That's doing the best it can to support you. Just appreciate the body and know like everything, it has an expiration date and it is subject to these laws. This is the gift of using dukkha for our awakening. And so as you look, Imagine yourself getting sick. And then close your eyes 
and just reflect. My nature is to experience illness. I cannot escape illness. Without getting into fear, see if you can just relax into the truth that this is what every human being goes through. And wish your body well and open to it with appreciation. Know that you'll be on the receiving end of love and support and care and probably good medical care. If you're fortunate enough to be on this call, you'll probably have some access to that. And notice the conditioning you might have and see if there's a way to relate to that fact as practice. with courage, with curiosity, with gratitude for how your body does serve you. Be very kind with whatever comes up, no judgment. Just hold that reality with wise, loving awareness. Okay, and once again, you can remove the pin and we can then go on gallery view and be with each other. Anything that you want to, uh, you want to raise any comments? This is from um, Ramdas from his book Still Here, talking about coming to terms with his stroke, which he lived with for the last oh, uh, 20, 25 years of his life. He writes, I used to say, I'm a golfer and a sports car driver. But now I'm someone just telling that story. I can't golf or drive anymore. And if I cling to that identity, I suffer. The stroke was like a samurai sword cutting apart the two halves of my life. It was a demarcation between two stages. Before I had the stroke, I was full of fears about aging. The stroke took me through one of my deep fears. And I'm here to report that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The stroke cleaned out some of the pockets of fear. It's happened and here I am. And the result is that I've grown so much closer to God, 
more than ever before. What more could I ask? As he acknowledges the gift deeply hidden in his suffering. We can use this as the Buddha says, the first noble truth, using it to wake up to the to reality. And as a, a, a wise friend of mine, my friend Edward Lewis, who just turned 88, uh, we were we were on a call. It was a group of us that was on a call. This is just a couple of weeks ago. He was one of the founders of Spirit Rock. Um, and he lives now in Thailand and his body is, he has, he gets around haltingly, but he is wiser and wiser. And he gave this wonderful Dharma talk to us, just spontaneous talk. And he had this one line that has stayed with me. He says, suffering and acceptance cannot exist together. It's a beautiful line. Suffering and acceptance cannot exist together. Of course, there's pain, but when there is mental anguish over reality, there's not acceptance. When there is acceptance, oh, this is the way things are, then suffering is not activated. There's not that regret. There's not that judgment. There's not that self-consciousness. Oh, and this is the way things are. So here's a practice. You might try seeing everyone around you through this lens. They have already experienced or could experience a serious medical condition See this not as some mistake, but in a world of impermanence as part of the curriculum that we are all asked to come to terms with. Holding your own past, present, or future medical challenges as practice opportunities, how might you use them as a source of awakening? What have you learned or are you learning in working with them? Just as a possibility here. Okay. We've, we did uh, death a few weeks ago. So uh, I think I'm going to skip over that one now. Uh, you can go back and hear uh, it's on it's on Dharma Seed or it's going to be on Dharma Seed. I uh, just want to make sure we get to the others and then maybe we can uh, die together if we have enough time. Um, but here's here's the fourth one. And again, I'll do the upajat who. Upajatana Sutta, he says, Now, based on what line of reasoning should one often reflect that I will grow different, separate from all that is dear and appealing to me? There are beings who feel desire and passion for the things they find dear and appealing. Because of that passion, they conduct themselves in an unskillful way, in body, in speech, and in mind. But when they often reflect on that fact, that desire and, could say, attachment for the things they find dear and appealing will either be entirely abandoned or grow weaker. Or, as we say in the chat box, what is it? Um, all that I love is of the nature to change. I cannot escape separation for what, from what I love. Everything near and dear to me, I will be separated from. 
loss. This is a big one. This, for many people, this is might be the hardest one to let go of those that we that we love. And of course, there's grieving as part of part of the, that experience. There's a, a famous story of Marpa, the great Tibetan master, Marpa, the translator in the Tibetan uh, Kagyu lineage who uh, loses his son uh, in an accident. And he's, um, he was a householder, obviously, he had a son, and he's plowing the fields, and he's weeping. Um, and his students see him weeping, and one of them says, Master, you've taught us that life is all an illusion. And here you are crying with the death of your son. Isn't it all an illusion, like you say? And Marpa says, um, yes, everything is an illusion. And the death of one's child is the saddest of all illusions. So I cry. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean you don't feel the loss, feel the pain. You're not trying to pretend, but in time, we learn to integrate that human being in our in our own being as their legacy to us. Just like your your parents, if they're no longer here, they live through you. Or your loved ones, they that are no longer here, they live through you. So I invite you to just go inside. And think of those that you care for and love. And just open to the fact that everything and everyone near and dear to you, you will be separated from. Either they will go or you will go. Not to depress you, but just for you to little by little embrace the truth of that reality. And that everybody who you know is part of who you are. To really honor them, to celebrate them, to mourn them, and know in time that this is just the natural way of things. And keep this in mind with all the loved ones that you spend time with. Thich Nhat Hanh has a hugging meditation around this fourth reflection. When you're saying goodbye to a loved one, hug each other for three full breaths and remind yourself of this remembrance. All that is dear to me and everyone that I love are of the nature to change. There's no way to escape being separated from this, from them. Makes them that much more precious.
again, I want to remind you, these are not to depress you or to um, get too heavy, but just to embrace the truth so we're not afraid of it and we have that much more mm, deep appreciation for everything and everyone in our life. Okay, and then on to the fifth. This is a, a, a quick journey through the five reflections. And first I'll share the screen. Now, based on what line of reasoning should one often reflect that I am the owner of my actions, heir of my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and have my actions as my arbitrator. Whatever I do, for uh, skillful or unskillful, to that I will fall heir. There are beings who conduct themselves in unskillful ways, in body, speech, and in mind. But when they often reflect on this fact, that unskillful conduct in body, speech, and mind will either be entirely abandoned or grow weaker. Okay. So this is the, the important thing to keep in mind that we don't have much control over life and all the lessons that we, that life gives us. Um, but the more we can practice mm, acting from a kind and loving heart, we are cultivating that inside and are much more likely to have mm, kind and benevolent energy come back to us. Not always, of course, we, we can't be naive, but we generally attract what we put what we put out if we are mean-spirited or we are causing suffering to others you are much more likely to have negative energy and words and actions come back to you and when you come from kindness and love you're much more likely not always but much more likely to surround yourself, you attract that kind of energy. So I invite us to, once again, go inside. And just realize that we have a big say in creating our own happiness or suffering through our choices and our habits and our actions. And if we really understand this law of cause and effect, we act with integrity and face in the right direction of, of well-being. And so just remember what it's like when you act aligned with your values. And when you're with others who act in alignment with their values, how you want to be around them. People that you can trust. Feel safe around. And how different it is when you don't act in alignment with your values. or you're around people who you don't feel safe around. And then coming back to yourself, get in touch with the fact that you want to create that life for yourself. And so 
acting with integrity is the great support for being present in your life and really feeling whole and connected for yourself and for everyone. Robert Louis Stevenson says, everybody eventually sits down to a banquet of consequences. So you want your consequences to be good ones, you know, planting good seeds. So there's the five reflections. And what I would, what I would encourage you to do is to, um, if you want, you can copy, perhaps, I hope you can copy uh, them from the chat box. And if you, or you can just look them up, you can just Google them. And when you sit, um, here's a practice for you. When you sit, say each one and just let it land for about 15 seconds or so. 15 or 30 seconds and just to let the truth sink in and then go on to the next and the next and the next you do that for regularly in your practice as the Buddha suggested they're the daily reflections and they will have a big impact on how you move through the world. So it's time for us to go. I'm sorry we don't have time for more conversation. Uh, thank you for hanging in there with me. And uh, let's just dedicate our time here together um, for the benefit of ourselves, everyone in our life, and all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.